My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. I never was a New Yorker. I suppose there's, uh, you know, there's probably still some time. I'm still alive. I haven't, I haven't died yet. Newsflash. But um, I'm not gonna, I'm not holding my breath here. Okay. But uh, you know, once upon a time, Jeff Ballou asked me. He had just moved. He had moved to Fresno. From uh, Long Beach to being the crucified. Uh, Jeff Ballou asked me once, you know, how long do you you see yourself doing this or or something to that effect? And my response was, well, I picture, you know, one day after I've I've done everything that I want to do, like (laughs) like I'm going to know that day when it comes, you know, and I'm going to I'm going to exit with a bang and not a whimper. I'm just going to. There's going to be a clear-cut day when it's all over. Anyway, <clears throat> when I've done everything I'm, I, I, I want to do, I picture myself, you know, living in a brick building in New York. I, I remember saying that. Like, there's something, for whatever reason in my brain, that's like a thing that you do. You go to New York and you live in this in this brick building. <laughs> I probably learned it from movies. I have, I don't know, but... It just seemed like ideal and perfect, you know. Brick building, maybe a, a an, an oak uh, framed out study, you know, a lot of a lot of dark woods, maybe I don't know, and um, a pipe and a good book sitting by a fireplace or whatever. Definitely <laughs> saying this, I definitely think I came from a movie of some kind. Anyway, Baloo's response was, uh, "Dude." If you're not planning on doing this for the rest of your life, I'm in the wrong band. <laughs> and it's just like, that hit me. Kind of like a shocker. I feel like I really let the guy down, you know? But anyway, um, yeah, that was the plan. That was what I was, I, I kind of had this idyllic thing in my head, you know? That was my, that was my ride off into the sunset, okay? Now, if there's one minor temporal thing that I can accomplish through this show, it will be to establish that there is no sunset. Okay? There is no sunset. There's just you just keep riding. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. I had it in my head that one day I, I would I would I would get everything off my chest. I would make all the music I wanted to make, and then I'd just be sort of done, and uh, I'd go live in New York. And um, now, <laughs> uh, no, that did not happen. I am I'm in Florida. As some of you may know, there is still time. So who knows? Maybe one day. I have to say something. We are. I, I am approaching a milestone, okay? This is an important show. This will be my second ever episode, and that's significant for me because I can't tell you how many things I've started 
or almost kind of started and then never did happen. And here I am. For me, it's a big difference because it, it represents that this is something that's happening. Okay. This is this is happening. I am. Uh, this is not a, a conversation over coffee and then nothing. This is actually a thing. And uh, we're going to get to Billy's, uh, the rest of Billy's interview in just a second here. Um, I want to discuss something. You know, I said it in the first episode. I've said it online. Um, and I'm saying it again, and I'm going to keep saying it. This is not supposed to just be Mark running his mouth, okay? I want a conversation. I want to talk to people. I want to talk to you. I'll get some people in here, and we'll chit-chat with them. But really, this is all about you. You and me connecting and talking. I uh, I have an email set up. I want to mention that briefly. Uh, it's the Twilight's own at iNeverWas.com. Uh, the Twilight Zone is all one word. If you if you follow my Instagram or you uh, are familiar with my Facebook page, the Twilight's own is uh, it's just I don't know. I got it from a neon horse song that we wrote. It's a lyric. What? But the Twilight Zone at iNeverWas.com. Uh, the Twilight Zone is all one word, obviously. iNeverWas.com is what all email addresses are. But hey, I set that thing up because I expect you to use it. You can shoot me an email there. Um, you know, I said on, uh, on on Twitter, I'm not going to, you know, all the email addresses are private. This is not me farming out email addresses so I can send you a bunch of shit later. I'm not doing that. It is really just a an opening, a door open for you to be able to talk to me. And then I'm basically the plan is you got something on your mind. I want to hear it and I want to discuss it right here on this show. I heard Mark Marin sum up Iggy Pop's life in less than two hours. And yet I couldn't do that with Billy. You know what? I'll get there for now. You know, we felt this was necessary and I'm glad we did it. You know, I think this conversation is really cool. There's some stuff, you know, there's a couple times where Bill and I, uh, you know, we disagree. But uh, I will say this before I, 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 I let him uh, take over here is that you'll hear a part in the show today where I am struggling to get a point across. This is not new. I'm not a good speaker. I like to write things out. But, you know. What I'm really getting at is is um, is influence. You know, I, I, the question that I should have asked was, which of these bands, these Christian guys playing music or whatever, are going to be listed as influences for the next generation of musician? Because I know who I list as influences, and I know who a lot of these other bands list as influences. What of these bands from Christendom are going to be listed as an influence for the next wave? You know, I think that's a valid question. All right. Anyway, I, also, I uh, it's valid, but I also didn't ask it. So uh, you can be there with me when I'm trying to spit it out. But um, I think the cool part about it is, is that because I was unable to get there, you know, Bill was able to make a really, I don't know, a very peaceful statement regarding the whole thing. And I think this portion of the, of, of, of our conversation is, is really kind of amazing because it shows, uh, you're, you're hearing a guy who has every reason to be bitter 
Um, he's just not. He just. Anyway, you know what? I'll stop prepping you. You listen to it and uh, let me know what you think. So, uh, yeah, without me rambling on, on any further, uh, part two of my conversation with my my dear friend, Billy Power. I do think it's worth mentioning, you know, after the tooth and nail thing, you know, a lot of people don't realize uh, what your impact I, I wanted to make sure that they did understand your impact on the label, but I also want them to understand uh, what happened after. I mean, Zambui was like a, was a big deal, dude. And, you know, especially for, it may not have been at the prime of the Christian rock or whatever you want to call it of the, of Christian people making music. It might not have been <laughs> there. Oh, I still think it's like a, a weird determination or a distinction, but you got to make it because sure. of all the trappings. But anyway, um, like Zambui, I, I remember that was the first time I remember thinking like, this is, this is genius because bands are lazy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now we've moved on from the initial part where it was like tooth and nail, Tooth and Nail really was responsible for putting Christian kids in, in punk rock bands and in bands and artists, pr- frankly, on the map. I mean, really, you could disparage them all you want to. The fact is, is that most people don't have any kind of of, a, of an artistic career without the, the role that that label played, you know, and I, I have no problem giving that credit. But, but, you know, after that, after the sort of the the car got started and put on the road, you had to maintain it. And then all of a sudden, like the Zambui thing kind of happens. And I know you came in after it kind of got started as far as I understand, but like, you know, getting merch to bands and, you know, and, 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 and making it possible for bands to stay on the road. Um, you know, I, I think that was like kind of a huge test for, for those groups. And, but what was a major, I don't know, had a big, had a big impact on a lot of them, including myself, you know, the stage acre guys. I mean, we, we were always a mess when it came to t-shirts and getting merch ready. And you're, you're carrying yeah. around like 40 boxes worth of merchandise in a trailer that weighs thousands and thousands of pounds. It's like, this is, there's gotta be a better way, you know? And then along came well, you guys. That's all Mike and Bruce, you know, uh, Mike Lewis from the band Polar that was on Tooth and Nail, and he was also in a band called For Love, Not Lisa, and then Bruce uh, from Living Lead Singer, Living Sacrifice, who I just saw, actually, uh, last mm-hmm. weekend. Um, and they started in a condo. Same same kind of thing. It's funny. It's like a very similar story. They just started this thing kind of out of necessity. They were both working, like, crappy, like, restaurant jobs, and yeah. and uh, they wanted to start merch stores for their own company. They hired this guy, Alan, who was, like, a developer, and they built their own system, and And, um, you know, I just have to give all credit to Mike because like Mike's just been a guy that's always kind of been there for me. (laughs) Like, uh, like when I moved back to my empty house during my divorce, he flew out, he was the guy that flew out and stayed with me, uh, that first week that I moved back after we were separated. And, um, you know, he, like I was basically living in New Jersey. I had, I had run out of money and, uh, you know, he offered to hire me and move me to Nashville, um, to come work for him, um, you know, guys always looked out for my best interest and always had my back and, you know, can't say enough about that guy, honestly. Uh, I would say very, very, uh, 
similar things. I, mean, I, I know actually know a lot of people who would say the very those very same things about him. But you know, I did want to I did want to say one other thing about the tooth and nail thing. You know, kind of the whole idea in the beginning of that label. And one thing that is cool, and actually in watching the documentary, that I thought was cool. You know, they've been around for twenty years now, and good or bad, you know, <laughs> there's always been a lot of controversies surrounding them and and opinions and all that kind of thing. And and um, I think at the end of the day, the thing that like I feel the most satisfaction about is all we ever wanted to do was to give those type of bands, bands that were Christians in a band, whatever you want to call it, um, a, a place to put their art out, to play their music and to be accepted in the marketplace, just like any other band. And we sure. really, you know, we spent a lot of years fighting for that to really legitimize the music, to put it in regular stores, to have end caps and tower at the time, tower records and, 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 you know, have regular distribution and all kind of stuff. And I, I gotta say it was like very satisfying to see the careers of these bands like Demon Hunter who toured with In Flames and Under Oath who's on Warp Tour and 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 all these bands I, I feel like in a lot of ways it really happened you know I yeah. <laughs> I literally was like working at uh I work a second job at Chipotle and there were guys that a couple guys there that are super into metal and they you know they're just talking about August Burns Red and some of these other bands in normal conversation and they didn't mention you know oh it's some christian like th-, you know they just talked yeah, about yeah. it like it was any other band and th- and it's not like those bands are like hiding like what they're about you know people know that that's what their deal is but they're respected in their you know respective genres for that and i, I honestly don't think that would have been possible with no, the, I, all the I work agree. that those guys did for the last 20 years so i agree man yeah i uh I, you know I just don't think I don't, it's interesting. I'm kind of going to shift up here. I mean, I, I definitely want to, we got to cover the, you know, urban achiever and talk about uh, the book and stuff. But like, I think what you just mentioned, it, it does bring to mind something that's been messing with my head a lot. And that's, there's like a weird legitimacy thing that has not happened with, um, with Christian people and music and all that. And that weird, relationship has has uh that has pretty much always existed there's like always been kind of like whether it be a, a fear or a, a you know um a distrust or whatever i don't know there's just something has always kept our people if you will and their relationship with music in a completely different relationship than 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 say our relationship with the bands we grew up listening to. You know what I mean? Like, like if, if you ask me who's my favorite bands of all time, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you the same bands I've been, I've been saying since I was a kid, you know, Meyer Threat, Youth Brigade, U2, uh, Misfits, and maybe, you know, probably just because I, I always loved his voice, Ozzy, you know what I mean? But then, like, I'll still mention Larry Norman, because I, I, I listened to him as a kid, you know what I mean? But but I think I might be one of the few people who actually would do that. You know what I mean? I don't, there's like all these Christians, all these Christian artists that have put out all this music. And I, I, I just don't see that same like, I don't know. I don't see that same lifelong relationship that, that we have with, with music outside of the, community does that make sense you know i'm i'm i think it's yeah i think it's like more of a it's more of a rarity there's definitely those bands that have that loyal 
uh, audience. But I, man, part of that is just due to the natural progression of of aging and aging out of an audience. You know what I mean? Like band, I understand uh, that. I like think- isn't it? Like POD comes to mind, like they can still draw a crowd just about anywhere that they go. Maybe sure. not as big as they did in their heyday. Same thing with Five Iron Frenzy. They were broken up for years and years and they do a Kickstarter and raise, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars um, to do new records. So, I mean, there's examples out there of people where their audiences stayed with them, but I don't know. Well, well I'll see. Uh, that's where I would start. I would say that's true of those two bands. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, and that's why it's so fascinating to me. I mean, you talk about Tooth and Nail sort of, uh, you know, giving these bands a place to finally, you know, see their stuff in the marketplace, to be, have a have a career potentially as musicians, you know. Uh, MXPX would be another one that comes to mind, sure. But like, really outside of that, I just, there's something isn't there and i see those three bands share one you know one pretty com- pretty obvious commonality and that is that they spent a lot of time in the general market right sure mxpx spent a ton of time in the general market uh five iron frenzy spent a lot of time in general market touring on that same warp tour and all that stuff pod you, almost entirely you say you say general market i say the real world the real world <laughs> that's that's right and that's that's really what i'm getting at is that i feel like this like that's kind of a bummer it's just it's sad to me it's sad to me because there actually were a lot of people who were very passionate about what they were doing you know obviously i'm I'm sure i'm thinking of my own you know our my own music or whatever but i know there's a lot of people who were really really you know sincere in their artistic expression and it and then it's almost like none of that has even happened you know i i find that to be very weird so much music has been put out and so much, you know, you go to all these tours and you go to all these shows, you go to all these festivals, there's tons of kids there. Um, but I just, so much of it, I get the impression uh, there wasn't a real connection. You know what I mean? Like, what, what's the what's the connection? I, ta- I, ta- I take your point, but I don't know that I completely agree with that. I feel well, like... That's okay. You're free to be wrong. It's just... I, f- <laughs> I, feel, I feel like... It's just the same. It doesn't really matter, Christian or not. Like, you know, like the key to keeping that impression and keeping it going, like if you want to use U2 as an example, they've just continued to work and to tour and to put out records and to stay relevant. And, you know, I'll give you another example from that crew of bands and from To The Nail Days. Me Without You is a band that's still around, still making records. They did their own independent record. It was hugely successful. They blew out all their vinyl and all their kind of stuff. You know, they've operated in that thing, but I mean, they just keep making records. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, some... I mean, there's plenty of bands uh, from the 90s that no one cares about. I mentioned a band like Jawbox and people's eyes just glaze over, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah, but then there's also like hardcore dudes there. I mean, and I get it. I, I, there are, Christian but I'm just saying. have those same things as well, you know? I just I still meet pe- I meet people every day, dude, uh, including at my, uh, my wife and I had a Christmas party. Uh, there's a guy who married a friend of ours and, um, you know, I had the tooth and nail book there in the, in the video and, and he was just like, Oh, this is such an important part of my life. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I hear from and talk to and, and get connected with people on Twitter and on different stuff like that, that, that they still have a really, they're very attached to that era and to that music and to those bands. And, and, um, you know, like anything, they're adults, they have kids, they've kind of moved on with their life. And, and like most people, they just don't care that much about music in general. I don't know how indicative that is of the music or the impact that it had, because I feel like when you talk to them about it, you know, um, 
they they have they hold a very special place uh in their yeah. heart and mind for that time and for that music for sure i i agree i agree with that entirely and i and i i'm not definitely not saying anything about the quality of the music i think the quality was there for a ton of the bands or whatever i just i'm always i've always wondered I feel like there's a difference in our relationship as Christian people with music. And maybe that's probably a good thing. I don't know. I definitely feel like there's a, there's a, there's a different relationship that there between the listener and the, and the band. I mean, dude, I still listen to bands that haven't been putting out music for (laughs) decades. You know what I mean? Uh, I still like the misfits and Glenn Danzig is a dick, but you know what I mean? Like I, I, it's what are you going to do? It's, it's, it was part of my, my growing up, you know what I mean? It, it's like ingrained in my, my makeup. I don't know. I don't know. I, just, I feel like there's something there and I, maybe I'll get to the bottom of it at some day. I think, I think you're talking about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I am. I don't, I don't think it's a simple, I mean, it's just a complicated thing. I think that there's a lot of baggage associated with that stuff. Just even in the terminology, you know, the whole and the reason I groan, I guess I should just explain this briefly. Like the reason I groan with the Christian rock, Christian punk, Christian, whatever is after I read addicted to mediocrity by Frankie Schaefer years and years and years ago, I just dismissed that type of categorization. I know that people love to categorize stuff and they love to put it in a box, but no one agrees on what any of that stuff means. And then it just becomes this dumb conversation that everybody's been having for like over two decades now. I mean, this goes all the way back to like early, early bands like under, cover and all you know like oh are they a christian band are they christians in a band? i could not be less interested in that i just don't care like i mean i get i get it's like good for context but like to me it, in some way it's like a way of belittling or making it like less than you know i don't know it's just like well dude i think you know that i agree with that entirely <laughs> it has nothing just, to do with i just feel like in a way it belittles like what it is like it's just a sincere expression because the person happens to be a person of faith you know and i think that's part of the, again part of that baggage too a lot of these bands are really young when they start they get older half of them stop believing um you know things get complicated because there's so much pressure put on all that stuff there's so much expectation based on what you come at it from you know and and i get it i mean you and i both get it we came from the era where it was like you know if you were a kid in youth group growing up playing at a church or like whatever there were a lot of expectations and a lot of baggage and a lot of you know you're expected to preach or you're expected to do this or to do that and you know, it took a long time to kind of break free from all that stuff. Like when I, when we started Blenderhead, I was like, we are, we're playing clubs and that's it. We're not going to play, you know, like whatever. Then we ended up doing that U S tour playing a lot of those places anyway afterwards. And I, you know, I just, uh, you know, whatever. I just like the terminology and all that stuff. Like, I just think that there's so much associated with that. And people assume, uh, you know, outside listeners assume that there's some agenda or, you know, I don't know, man. I just want the music and the art to be the art, and that's what it is, you know. You you miss you misunderstanding me. Typical, pretty much the same story <laughs> in my life. Listen, dude, I get it. I don't I don't like the term Christian, you know, Christian rock or Christian punk rock or any of those. I've never liked those terms. But the fact is, is that I'm talking about a certain group of people, you know, Christian people that are making music and the things that have happened with them. 
so I, I can just say musicians, um, and we'll just leave people guessing who we're talking about. I guess <laughs> I don't know. The point, the point, my whole point about the history thing and all that stuff has nothing to do with me. It's it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with me because it also has to, has to do with all of us. It's like you know. I think it's healthy. I think it's cool to, to to have some frame of reference for where this band came from, who influenced who, you know. But for, for so long, man, like people were almost seemed uh, hesitant to cite uh, other Christian people who played music as references. You know what I mean? Like it just never happened. But I always thought... I always thought Larry Norman was cool, you know, but then you mentioned, you mentioned undercover a couple minutes, minutes ago. Now maybe they didn't influence a lot of the bands that we ever listened to, but I, I would, or maybe those bands would say they didn't, but I would say bullshit, you know? I mean, maybe you, you, you thought you could play the music better uh, than them or play it in, in a way that was more to your liking. But the fact is, is like undercover, opened a lot of doors for a lot of people. You know what I mean? They're, they are like the reason I ever was in a band. They're probably the reason <laughs> that, that, that Brandon Ebel ever wanted to do the frontline thing, you know, all altar boys, same deal. I mean, the altar boys yep. were the, the second show the crucified ever played in our lives. And, you know, and we were out of our minds nervous about those guys showing up <laughs> and just like, Oh my gosh, what it is. you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I, I have, I have a healthy respect for those dudes. And even the the artists that I didn't really ever listen to or never really got into, I mean, I understand everybody, you know, uh, loves Daniel Amos and, and, um, uh, or they love, love the choir and stuff like that. And I, I liked some of those bands, but they just weren't really huge influences on me, but I at least understand kind of where they where they fall in that historical sense i think that they were important groups you know especially sure. like there was a there was a small window there where like kids like me were afraid to do anything that wasn't punk rock you know what i mean it's like oh no, no we're not we're not doing any of that other that other stuff you know we're 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 uh we're 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 looking for the, we want to do punk rock better than, than we've heard it yet. You know what I mean? It's like, there was like this kind of this tendency to sort of lean towards the faster every time. And, and, and anything that was like kind of sensey, uh, <laughs> you know, new wave or whatever was like, ah, oh, dude, we need another one of those, you know? Sure. I mean, and of course there was, that came from five or six bands. My gosh, what was that one group? Uh, they had one song on their record that was so great. And then a bunch of other songs that were just nothing like it, you know, and even to a certain extent undercover was like that as well. But like you have all these bands and they definitely had a place in history, but like, I don't, you know, I think partially the reason why they're there and, and this goes for me too, is that, you know, there's still that weird relationship between Christian people and music and parents only allowing their kids to listen to certain things. You know, mm -hmm. I'm well aware that a lot of the records that Staves Acre sold over the years were because we were at the youth group and the kids got dropped off by mom with 20 bucks in their pocket. You know what I mean? And sure. Like, so I think, I think that definitely had a lot to do with this kind of disconnect or whatever. So I don't know. That's really all I was getting at is like, I, it's too bad, you know, because like, well, think about it, dude. You mentioned the book, the Frankie Schaefer book, right? 
Yep. Um, which had a major impact on me. I mean, you're the reason why I read that. Uh, that and uh, You Two at the End of the World. Those two books, we, me and all the stage Acre guys read them at the same time. Yeah. And basically made our decision to leave the Christian market, right? Yep. They had, and, and, and that France Schaefer, that Frankie Schaefer book had, had been, basically, it was like the guy was reading so many people's thoughts, you know, and, and put them down on paper. This is how every, a lot of people I know feel, Right. Well, now you're kind of in this sort of place where you don't, you don't know where to go next. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I, I just, it, it, to me, it was, it's kind of tragic, man. It's like, there's this whole great, there are so many different artists and they're all wanting to do all this different stuff, but we're just not having the right, that right link. I just feel like it was a huge mistake to... You know, and again, I get it. It's like that whole thing. I always think about that quote from uh, Decline of the Western Civilization where that guy from The Mask is like, there's no such thing as new wave. There's punk, there's power pop, there's ska, there's rockabilly, but new wave doesn't mean shit. <laughs> or like, <whatever. laughs> right. like uh, It's just kind of like the same thing. Like we just kind of allowed, like the initial terming of like, Christian punk or like whatever in the beginning was more in the same way of like seeing that guy with the shirt. It was kind of a way of identifying with your tribe of like, I'm a punk, but I also, you know, I've lived in that dichotomy like my whole life. You know, it's like, I'm Mm -hmm. the kid going to the circle jerk show and I'm in church on Sunday. And, you know, I've always been fascinated by the fact that there, there's a long history though, dude, of like guys that are believers or that have faith or like whatever, being involved in all kinds of underground music, um, you know, from Billy, Zoom and X was like, you know, there's an interview online with him. Uh, the old lead singer, Black Flag, uh, moved to Canada as a Christian. Uh, John, one of the bass players from uh, Social Distortion, is like known to be a Christian. Uh, Joe Escalante from the Vandals, like, has a even his pit guard in his base is the Pope. He's like a really devout Catholic, you know. So there's like a lot of like, <laughs> you know, maybe not as well known, um, you know, history of of people of faith being involved in, in bands and music of all genres. Sure. And I think that, you know, what started as a good thing, a way to say, Hey, you know, I'm, I like this kind of music and I also, you know, am a believer or, you know, whatever. Um, when it became sort of commodified is sort of, I believe where it kind of got off the rails where it just became like, you know, how can we monetize one of my least favorite words on earth? How can we uh, monetize <laughs> this music and, and then market it directly to those people? No, listen, I, I, you know, I'm sure that there are, there are, uh, and I feel like I've gone really way off the rails here. Like, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> yada, yada, oh, yada, yada. It yada, always ends yada. up going this way anyway, doesn't it? <laughs> it <laughs> okay listen we could go on and on about that but let's not no and you know i i I'll, I will i'll simply say this the thing that i got the most out of that book and uh and out of a lot of our conversations was just create art do it do it to the best of your ability and let it ride man you know and, and i like i if I have one regret for those years, it's that I didn't feel that way from the very beginning. I didn't use that as sort of my, my battle cry. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Because I think it would have saved a lot of us a lot of 
hassle <laughs> and sure. a lot of sadness. I think I'm just getting soft in my old age. Yeah, maybe. Because uh, uh, I definitely went through a period, um, <laughs> you know, when I felt that way. I think like now I've just, as I've gotten older, I've just chosen to focus on all the, all the good things that have come out of all that stuff. I mean, like I said earlier, like, I just feel like every significant relationship in my life, all my closest friendships, uh, you know, um, I owe it all to, to that music and to that scene and to Cornerstone Festival and to all these different things. And, and man, you know, no matter what happened and no matter what, you know, shit went down with on the bad side of things, like I feel like the legacy of that stuff, if it, if it's just purely that lifelong lasting friendships and relationships and marriages and kids, and I just, it just goes on and on and on when you think about all the people, you know, from Chad, my friend Chad, who runs Reach Records in Atlanta mm-hmm. now, who worked at Tooth and Nail and was at the militia to, you know, I mean, I see that guy every time he comes to New York when I can, um, I just think of so many French, I mean, you know, the love of my life I met at Cornerstone yeah. <laughs> through yeah. a band that I work with. So it's just like, uh, I don't know. To me, that's nothing but good. You know, nothing but I good agree. has I... come from all that stuff. And, and even to take it even a little further, I would say even some of the best art in our lives has come as a result of our relationships. It, it, the ones we've had and you know what I mean? Like, how can you, how can you, no question. how can you look back at any of the, any of the things you've done and not say this is, this came as a, as a result of, of my life and what's happened in my life. So I, I 100% feel that way. I mean, dude, I'm the same way. I, I met my wife on tour too. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it makes me think of like moments, even just little moments. Like, uh, remember the cornerstone after, uh, the record with gold and silver came out. And I remember yeah, standing on the side of the stage and, and sobbing like through your whole oh, like yeah. set on the side of the stage. That was a, that was a hugely, yeah. Im, Im, a hugely important time in my life, you know, but, and I, I to, to know that there was, you know, that connection there. Like, I feel like that connection goes way beyond like, showing up at a show and your mom gives you money to buy a record. You know what I mean? Like there was definitely times when it felt a real link, you know, um, I know it's I know it's going to sound like pandering, but Stave Zaker and Polar were always my two favorite bands on Tooth and Nail. <laughs> Dude, please stop. Sorry, please sorry stop everybody. Pandering. Sorry everybody. So every time I feel every time I feel like you or Mike and you both do this uh, are are being kind of dismissive of like you know like I don't know just like looking back negatively about any of that stuff. I just think <laughs> these records meant the world to me. You idiot. <laughs> I don't, dude. I don't. I don't consider it. I just. <laughs> Like I, I, I get it. I know the history. I read the book. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I wrote the forward to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I mean? Like that's the, like closer than you think bipolar. Like Ethan and I talked about that in our interview. I mean, that yeah. record meant so much to me. I love that record. I love your records. Like, I don't know. They, they were meaningful to me and I have to believe that they're meaningful to a lot of other people. I'm sure, sure. That they are. I, that may be. Uh, I'm just looking at the whole, I'm looking at my own picture, dude. You know, you got your picture. I got mine, Bill. I'm punk rocker. You can't tell me what to do. Come on, man. (laughs) You know, uh, speaking of, of Mike and, you know, I don't know who's more negative, Mike or me. Might be me. Might be me. But I don't don't want to be negative. I want to be, I want to be like, not negative. Um, 
But you know, I think it's interesting. Mike once told me, um, you know, he's always trying to get me to go to go to Haiti with him, go to Africa. Yeah. Like for the, for a guy that's that negative, uh, you know, <laughs> he's out there. Dude, and I know, you know, uh, you guys went to Africa, of course. I always yeah. remember the story you told me about when you came back, you, you went around your house and turned on all your water faucets and, you know, and smiled at your wealth. <laughs> I, was, right. I thought that was pretty epic, you know. I just, yeah, that whole trip. I mean, before we went to Africa, Mike told me that it would ruin my life and I didn't really understand like what he meant, but it really, uh, after just going there and seeing the things that we saw, you know, like people getting water out of a dirty hole in the ground, it, it's just kind of hard to adjust back to, I always equate it to like the matrix of like taking, you know, the pill where your eyes are opened. It's just like, you're like, man, like people are still living like this and like abject poverty. It's like crazy. And it, and it's just like, uh, hard to go back to a normal life and get excited about, um, you know, daily living and just think, I just think about those kids all the time. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to picture Mike explaining to one of those kids how difficult rock and roll life is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember like one of the particular moments that stands out to me that literally comes up like every month is um, that we were in Kibera, which is like the biggest slum in Nairobi. There's like a million people in an area the size of Central Park uh, in New York and, you know, open sewer troughs and, and just like little babies running around, you know, what, like were little, you, what was the trip you were there for? Was it we went on like a mission trip. That's like, uh, just briefly, like it's funny, uh, thing. Cause Mike, when I first moved to Nashville was just like, you know, like F Africa, like who cares? We have poor people in America. Right. So even in his own life, he went through a massive transformation, um, where they got involved with this run that this girl, Ellie had started this young girl, started right. this charity run in Nashville. And then Tiffany, his wife got involved in it. And then, um, she basically dragged him kicking and stream screaming to Africa to go visit some of these projects they were supporting. And then that's all he talked about once he got back. And then he was just trying to convince me to go. And he's like, look, man, you got to go. You got to go. We got to figure it out. And so we went on this 10 day trip and we, um, we went through England on our way there. And then, um, we were in Nairobi and then, uh, for part of it. And then the other part we were in, uh, Kitui, which is this kind of rural area where there's basically no running water, no electricity. Um, we were visiting an orphan project out there, but when we were in Kibera in this giant slum, we drove basically to the middle of the entire slum and we were visiting the school and we were in the yard and, and, uh, everybody was fascinated with my tattoos and they all thought that I was like a professional wrestler. They kept asking me if I knew Hulk Hogan. They do know Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Do you know John Cena? <laughs> you know, like whatever, like, uh, what about Van Damme? You know, like what, they're into all these action stars and wrestlers and like whatever. And they kept touching my arms and looking at my tattoos. And this one little boy, uh, very innocently while touching my Mary tattoo on my left arm says, how much does this cost this, uh, this Ooh. tattoo or whatever? And, um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, it was like probably like between, four and six hundred dollars for that tattoo and i just thought that's probably enough to send every kid in this yard right now to school for like a year um damn so, it bill needless to say that's just one example of like okay now tattoos are ruined like <laughs> i'm not mm -hmm. saying i never will get another tattoo and i have actually gotten a few tattoos since africa but there isn't a moment that goes by that i just don't think like 
you know what I mean? Like, what's that trade off? Like I could help all these kids go to, you know, it's not some guilt thing, but it, it, it definitely like weighs on my mind to where I think about it. One cool thing that came out of that trip is uh, there were a couple girls, uh, this girl, Carrie and another girl named Jill that went on that trip. And, um, the original charity mocha club that was supporting the, the kids in the, in the rural village in Katui, um, started a charity called love for Katui. And, um, they support the, all the orphans in that town. And they actually, the last couple of years, they've been doing a Christmas thing for them that they just did. Um, you can look them up on Instagram. Um, there's a bunch of cool pictures, love for Katui. Um, check that out. It's K I T U I. Um, but I definitely recommend, uh, checking that out. Um, that just really left. I met a kid there, Kilu, uh, who was part of that orphan project. And, and so every time they go, they kind of update me on how he's doing. And, and, um, it was really cool. It was just cool to like, experience something like that and and again you know had i never met mike through his band and right, right. and all that stuff you know none of that would have ever been possible um yeah. so yeah and so now you i mean you you've gone basically you've gone across the country a couple times here now billy but you you know yeah you end up in nashville for a while you uh experience africa and and um did you go to haiti as well I haven't been to Haiti yet. Mike keeps trying to get me to go, but, um, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but, um, nothing makes me more miserable than being hot. And, uh, and, and I've basically heard that there's really no season to go (laughs) where it's not, (laughs) doesn't feel like the fires of hell down there. So, um, you know, it's like less miserable than this season or a little more miserable than that season. It's all just hot, but I'll probably go. I want to go. I mean, he's been there probably about a half a dozen times now. Um, and, um, he's actually, his new company they're providing some office space for the one charity my life speaks i believe they're called yeah my um, life speaks and then what's the name of the bag uh company as well as uh hope hope rageous that's right yep and they sell bags and the bags are handmade by these uh ladies in in haiti which is super cool awesome. too well, i think that's awesome i you know i know <laughs> now you're uh, it, i think he's using the same um kind of the same business model as tom's or something right i mean buy one, make one kind of deal. Isn't that, is that, am I getting that mixed up with something else? Yeah. I don't think they're doing that, but okay. they, uh, but they are providing some jobs for these ladies that make the bags, sure. which are, they're really cool. I actually was in Nashville recently and I finally, I actually saw them uh, at the warehouse in person. He was just telling me about all the, some of the bags are made from like recycled uh, rice bags. And, and uh, so it's cool. Not only are they providing the jobs for them to make the bags, but they're using, you know, reusing materials and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Well, that's what Bill, that's what, that's what Mike's doing. Um, but what Bill's doing is uh, the Urban Achiever uh, podcast. Why did you finally decide, like, okay, uh, I'm going to do this? I'm going to. How long did it take you to actually sit down and do it? That's probably a better question. Because yeah, I, know how long I don't it know, took man. Me. My my post tooth and nail, uh, job history has sort of been very similar to my pre, uh, tooth and nail job history. <laughs> just tried to cobble together. I mean, I had a good long run at Zambui about seven years there and I, in between I ran a management company and then, um, I worked for a startup, uh, called moon toast for about a year and then was unemployed for a period of about nine months. And, you know, I'm getting older and easily, uh, more replaced by people in their twenties who, you know, live 10 up in an apartment in Brooklyn and work for 20 grand a year. Um, so I've got, I've got that working against me, uh, at this Yay. point. And it, 
Uh, yeah. So for a guy that never went to college and uh, has worked in the music business, uh, which everyone I think at this point is well aware is in flux and, and changing daily um, and sort of burning to the ground, which I think is a good thing, to be honest. It's fine. Fine by me. Um, but it does present a little bit of a dilemma as far as what I'm going to do for the, you know, <laughs> I get when you're young, I think you don't think about like how long life is, you know, and hopefully I'll have a good long life. You know, you never know what can happen. Um, when your you know chapter will come to a close, but um, it's just weird. To, I always say like I kind of left my live my life in reverse, where you know when I was in high school and playing in bands, like all I thought like oh I just want to do this. Like uh, right. <laughs> there's pancakes and uh, whatever. <laughs> like this seems like a good gig. <laughs> punk rock, punk rock, and pancakes. Um, so like I've just tried to like. Uh, I don't know, kind of find my way. I had like a little ride above, which is like kind of like a cycling clothing brand kind of thing I was trying to do for a while. Um, and that kind that of folded. That was with Libel? And, uh, yeah, he was m- mostly just a really enthusiastic supporter. Okay. Um, okay. I was basically running it myself, but, um, yeah, so I did that for a while and, and, um, I had the management company for a while and I worked at that startup and then I worked for Zambui and, um, I don't know. I bet I've, you know, I recorded almost an entire album's worth of music last year. And then I haven't been able to finish that. And I uh, transcribed my tour journal from 95 and I still need to finish editing that. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Uh, when I took this job at School of Rock about a year and a half ago, um, I ended up with an hour commute uh, each way to work. And so I was driving an hour, uh, two hours, six days a week in the car. And um, I just started listening to a lot of podcasts and um, got interested in the, in the form of it and, and just really liked that there were one in particular, like WTF with Mark Marin. I, I really liked how non-commercial it was. Like it wasn't like, Oh, I'm pitching my new movie or I'm pitching right. my whatever. It's, it's become a little bit more that way, but like it was just mostly just people telling their stories and stuff like that. So I became kind of fascinated with that. And, and to be honest, like the barrier to entry was low. And after starting several failed businesses and, and, you know, putting myself in a lot of credit card debt, I was kind of looking like, what can I do that costs the minimal amount of money <laughs> that, that might give me some, you know, freedom in my life to do some things. So I've always liked writing. So I wanted to try to finish that book and I'm working on another book and, and, um, just, I don't know. It, it seems like podcasting was kind of a natural progression for me. I had done a one episode show for Zambui of urban achiever where we did a religion and politics episode. Um, and I don't know why we ended up stopping doing that, but we had did, done one episode and then, uh, Ethan, my friend, Ethan, who I interviewed in episode one, he, uh, recorded a theme song for me, like right after that first episode had, um, been posted. And, um, the show ended and then I ended up leaving Zambui and then it just sat on my hard drive basically all this time. And I was going uh, organizing some files on my thing about a month or so ago, um, or maybe even over the summer. And I found that file and I was like, you know what? I have a theme song. That's kind of a cool name. Like I already had had a label called urban achiever. And I just thought, you know, I should really just get this going. And hmm. so, um, I had just seen Ethan and I knew he had, you know, a pretty cool story just about all the stuff that he's done through music and, yeah. and, um, and, uh, yeah, so that was kind of the genesis of all that stuff. Well, I'm glad you did because you got me, you got me motivated to get off my butt and do it myself. Okay. So, uh, urban achiever podcast is, uh, now moving along with at least two episodes, pretty much, uh, lifelong fulfillment. Um, thanks for your help. 
Thanks for your help, Billy. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, uh, a found journal has resulted in uh, Billy's first book, uh, which is called Bottle Breaker. Bottle Breaker. And uh, Bottle Breaker will be uh, able to be received by human beings at what time, sir? Well, I'm trying uh, I'm trying to have it done this month. Uh, I basically have to just go back in and do the proofreading edits and whatnot. And then, um, you know, just take a big, deep gulp. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I guess I should just say that, you know, I didn't really edit anything like it's just the journal. And, um, you know, as as time went on, it became uh, I think I've told you before, it just became like ate a burrito, took a shower. Thank God I get to sleep. <laughs> See, I've read this thing and I uh, one thing you will learn is what not to eat on tour. Right. That's a, that yeah. will be a lesson that you will take away from the book. Sure. Lots of lots of uh, salad bars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I just have to kind of go back in and make those last things. I was going to try to add an appendix with some photos. Um, it does have the the uh, it does have our entire log at the end of what we made on every show and guarantees splits and merch and all kind of stuff. I thought that was kind of a fun thing for people to see. Um, um, and then what I've decided to do is I'm basically going to give the book away for free, um, mm-hmm. at least the digital version of it. Um, in the beginning, I'm going to have a, a page where you can sign up for my email list, and then you'll get the book for free. You'll get a free download when you when it sends you the confirmation email. You'll just be able to download the book. Um, and then at some point, I'll get it up on the Amazon uh, publishing, and I'll have physical copies that um, will be available for purchase for people who are old school. Man, I just, I just like to have the physical object, man. I just need like something I can hold in my hands and smell the paper. So I'll have some of those. And lose at the bus stop (laughs) or uh, (laughs) spill, spill coffee on. (laughs) Try to figure out how to read, drink coffee and do something else. Sure. um, Without destroying. That's what I need. I need that one. So. About this book, just briefly, uh, f- from those days on the road, what, what's the what's the one thing that sticks out in your mind clearest of from all the tours? Not just the one covered by the book, but everything. All those years of uh, getting in a van with stinky dudes and driving around. <laughs> Well, you know, I didn't have nearly as extensive experience touring as you and some of my other friends did. Um, we did like a West Coast and a U.S. seven-week tour with MXPX and then, you know, tons of local shows and that kind of thing. Um, and and I'm not really one for like regrets or any of that kind of stuff or whatever, but it would have been nice to have done it long enough to really kind of know what I was doing. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, had I ever done a U.S. tour again, like the routing on that tour was just obscene. You know, we, oh we, we'd play a show and then drive all night. We'd leave right after the show, drive all night, drive all day, and then just barely make it for load in for the next show. It was like a game we would play of who's least likely to drive the van off the side of the road and kill us all. <laughs> <laughs> Is it you You're just looking at each other like who's on the nods the worst, you know, like who's going to I don't think Evan's going to make it. You guys, I guess I'll, I'll just drink this Red Bull and we'll just give it a shot. You know, um, I mean, just some of the routing was just like ridiculous. And then also just to kind of learn like 
who, you know, who are the good promoters to deal with? Who are the bad promoters to deal? You know, we didn't, we never got a second shot at any of that stuff. It's just like, oh, well, that mm. guy sucked too bad. <laughs> well, just for your information, second shot, third shot, no different. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I heard. I heard somebody recently, uh, one of the guys from Emory was just saying like, you know, you can't count on anything. It's like sometimes they do a show at a place and it'd be amazing. Then they do a show at the exact same place and it'd be terrible. So yeah, oh, yeah. That, that made me feel a little bit better. But, you know, um, for me, it was a great time. I don't know that I would have necessarily wanted to keep doing that ad nauseum. You know, there's, uh, well, I don't need to tell you about that, but um. <laughs> but for for me mostly it's just like good memories i mean we we had a lot of fun on the u.s tour in particular um it was just the right place at the right time it, in terms of the music that was coming out you know our second record muchacho vivo came out while we were on that tour um when we got in texas actually that was kind of dulled by we all had like the worst food poisoning ever from taco cabana in texas and so we were all just like vomiting and and uh all this stuff we i get into that a little bit um in bottle breaker but um yeah, we arrived at the venue and all our CDs for uh, MXPX Teenage Politics and Vunderhead Muchacho Vivo were at the venue. It was like right before Cornerstone 95. There's a video of that on YouTube, actually, from our show at uh, Cornerstone 95, which is just like awesome. a who's who of all the bands of that time on stage and uh, your boy Dirk's up there and DLB. And is he wearing Evo. a backpack? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> like Mike Carrera in a Hawaiian shirt or something. Everybody up there, but... uh. Yeah, so I mean, for me, that was like really good times, and and uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you don't get do overs, so this is my uh, my my time. That was it. Sure. Well, do you have uh, I mean, coupling that with the 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 tooth and nail career, and I mean, aside from your any mistakes you may have made here and there, I mean, are there any major regrets? Anything that you could, if you could go back and and talk to yourself in the past <laughs> uh, with the information that you now possess. What what would you uh, what would you say? No, no, turn around. <laughs> I would I would have uh, not gone to the high school dance. No, um, that's Back to the Future. I, um, <laughs> I there's really only two that would come immediately to mind, and one is perhaps not marrying at at 23 that first time might have might have been an error i would uh, blot out um and then uh the uh what is the other one um well hold on a second here not marrying at 23 you think you're just too young and not really ready to know what was going on yeah i just i mean it ended poorly so anytime something ends badly you think it's not a good idea um, but I just think like at eight, like when I think about myself at 23, it's like, I had no idea what the hell I was doing at 23. Like, I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know who I was as a person. I didn't know what I believed in terms of theology or anything. You know, my, I just wasn't a fully formed person that knew what I wanted for my life. I mean, at that point I, I definitely wanted kids. I, to me, the, I, now the idea of having kids is not palatable at all. So, um, mm-hmm. I might've had a child with someone that I'm not even married to anymore <laughs> as an example. Um, yeah. you know, I got off, I got off good with that one, but, um, yeah, so that's one for sure. And then the other one that I've discovered recently um, is that it might've been a good idea to go to college at some point. Um, you know, when I got out of, when I got out of high school, I know I joke about it a lot, but it's like when I got out of high school, I, uh, you know, I'd gone in the army and, 
um, just because I didn't want to, I didn't do great at like history or, uh, not history, but like math. Like I failed out of pre-algebra and, and a lot of the other classes I really struggled with. Um, and aside from like art stuff and music, I did well and all that stuff. And I just thought the idea of paying to fail the same classes I just failed was really unappealing to me at the time. Sure. Um, but now, you know, uh, post tooth and nail and just uh trying to navigate the you know having worked in the music business my entire adult career and trying to navigate the new the new scene as it is um you know i just feel like i get flagged out i was unemployed for like nine months i think i mentioned earlier and um you know i applied at over 100 companies i feel like i'm eminently qualified to do just about anything <laughs> i've done a lot of uh, done a lot of things in my life you know um I'm really good at computers. Uh, if anybody out there, uh, just uh, but I, uh, you know, it's just like getting harder and harder to like make the same amount of money, and and it's a struggle. And I and there's so many jobs that say you must have a bachelor's degree, you must have a bachelor's degree. And I feel right, like if I right. could even get in the door and speak to somebody, they would see that I'm somebody that's qualified and that would be good for their organization. But it's like they just flag you out. It's like no bachelor's degree you know, into the bin it goes kind of thing. And um, yeah. so, I mean, even just as a practical matter, like I kind of wish that I had that in anything just so that I could have it on there. And, and, you know, I feel like it's really cut me out of opportunities that could have been cool and like whatever, and whether it's right or wrong for them to do that. And I feel it's very wrong. <laughs> in fact, it makes me really mad sometimes when I see that on a listing, I just like, I just like screw you, you know. <laughs> Automatic limitation. Yeah, yeah. It's like really, this is the thing. The 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 kid that's right out of college uh, against me. This I is sometimes the- feel that they put those things in there. Like the guy writing that says, "You know what? I went through school. I had to get a bachelor's degree. <laughs> Anybody who's getting hired by me is going to have to have gone through the same shit that I did." Yeah, exactly. So I guess that's the only thing at this point that, like, you know. Might have been a good, might have been a good idea at some point. You know, I don't know if it's a re- regret necessarily because um, the, what the path that it led me down was super awesome, and everything about it was, you know, I w- I wouldn't change that part of it for sure. Um, but just you know, I, I, when you think like, oh, I retire at sixty five, you don't really realize how far away that is when you're young. It's like you know, sure. now I'd done all this stuff and 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 pretty much done everything I'd set out to do when I was in a high school, little high school or like, Oh, I just want to work in music. And it's like, I kind of, you know, I did everything that I would really want to do in that field at this point. Like that's exciting to me. Um, and now it's like, okay, now what do I do for the next 20 to 30 years? (laughs) (laughs) Makes it, makes it a little challenging. Just keep getting your hustle on, Billy. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying, man. This is it. This is, this is the answer I came up with. I'm trying to hustle. I like it. Books. Okay. So, you know, on some of these, I've, I've, uh, you know, as you know, been trying to get the first couple episodes, uh, recorded and, and sort of in the shoot before we start this thing off. But, you know, I've been asking, um, and I, I, I should have asked you at the beginning, but didn't. So I'm asking you now, especially with all of that in mind, you know, not having a degree at this point or, or, the years of, of sort of struggling to try to find work or find your place in the world, you know, when you were growing up and you decide and you knew there was something you wanted to be, you know, what was that? What did, when you finally decided I want to be this, you know, when was that and what was that and how does it kind of compare to where you are now? Um, I guess it'll sound redundant, um, you know, but, 
I think the precise moment was um, the band that I've been playing in, in high school, Pontius Pilate and the Pious Punks. I'll say that again because you like it so much. I um, love it so much. Who later it's changed so their name to Point Blank in, a, in an effort to become more accessible. Um, <laughs> we had been playing some shows around San Diego and and played like at the Shea Cafe where I'd seen the Descendants and, and uh, you know, we're starting to play some you know cool shows and and uh, i'd been promoting the shows myself and we recorded our own demo and then um that kind of culminated my senior year with us playing at my school in the quad at the school like right in the middle of campus during lunch um they would have local bands come and play and whatever and and we played and and uh for weeks after that you know everywhere i go in the hallways people would be like hey man you know i saw your band that was so cool like or whatever Mm -hmm. and and um (laughs) I think that coupled with the trip when we went to Fresno to play play with you guys, it was kind of like those two moments in kind of in conjunction of like going on, you know, on, on the road, whatever, going out of our. So I really did have a, a role in ruining your life. You did. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I think that's established. So much power. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I don't think it's really ruined. I mean, it was just like, um, I think going out of town, playing somewhere else. And then, you know, doing that show at a school and, and kind of feeling the reaction of my peers, that kind of thing. And the fact that I've been playing music, I mean, music consumed 95% of my life um, up to that point. And I was basically a miserable failure at, at anything else. I couldn't do sports. I couldn't do, you know, I tried other things, but I was not good at any of those other things. And, and it just felt right. And I and, and then really at that age, I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know anything about you know, music business or what any of that stuff was. I just knew like whatever I want to do, I want to be doing music, whether it's playing in a band or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, I think people are more kind of specific when they talk about that now. Cause I think people are more aware of the role, specific roles, band manager, um, booking agent and all that kind of stuff. But at that time th- that wasn't really in the lexicon of what you would talk about. So I didn't, I don't think I had a clear idea, but I definitely, that's definitely what I wanted to do. And that, and, and then again, that's the thing. I mean, that's, it's like, that's all I ever wanted to do. And yeah. at one point in my career, I'm like eating dinner in the Eiffel tower in France. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> Hey man, you know, if there's this any, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, if there's, if there's anything, you know, going to can for the meet him, you know, conference and all that stuff with Brandon. Yeah. And I'm just thinking like, I, I some guy never went to college, you know, high school graduate. It's like, this is, this is a pretty good pinnacle, you know? Um, yeah. So. <clears throat> well, I, I think, I think of that, you know, uh, in, from the music and, and then all the way to the tooth and nail thing. And then even to now, this is, this is where I see it. You know, you look at a career that started, um, I don't know if you wanted to call it a career, but you know that from that day in the quad to right now, you know, you've gone through some ups and some downs, had some amazing moments, um, had some, had some truly eternal moments. I mean, you know, you're, you're happily married now and, uh, um, and we're still friends. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Put those things on the same level. But you know, if you, um, you know, if you, if you, if you take it all kind of, I know kind of uh, in, in perspective, um, are you happy? Are you happy with the way things worked out? Uh, I would say yes. At at this point, like, you know, I've gone, I've been frustrated just um, career wise, just trying to figure out like what I really want to do. And I feel like recently just kind of getting my podcast going and the feedback from everybody has been really cool and, and kind of people coming out of the work that I haven't really talked to. And that kind of stuff has been really encouraging kind of putting that book together and 
just kind of like I just have felt kind of like lost at sea over the last couple of years and just kind of trying to figure out like, okay, what's next? Like, what am I going to do? What's the thing that's going to make me happy? What's the thing that's going to make a difference? You know, after I always I think I said earlier, just after going to Africa, it kind of like just turned me upside down to like where I just really wanted to work for a charity and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's still in there. Like, I still would love to work for, you know, any kind of organization working in Africa or anything like that. And I don't, I don't think that's not possible. I think that may happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel good about where my life is. You know, I'm, I'm very, very happily married. And, you know, that was a long road of being long distance and all this stuff to finally be together. And so that was, you know, a great resolution. And we love living near New York. We just think it's the greatest city. We love, you know, we recently went to the city for a day, just checking out all the Christmas stuff, which we do every year. So we're, you know, I moved like over 25 times. So, that, you know, all I ever wanted to, to like have a hometown, you know, people say, where, what's your hometown? You know, where you're from? It's like, I don't know. Like I lived in Seattle for 13 years. I lived in California for 18 years. I was in Germany. I was all through the South. I lived in Nashville. I like was in New Jersey, then went back to you know somewhere else. And it's just like, I just wanted to settle down, have my coffee place, you know, have my places in the city. I like to go. And, and I feel like I'm finally kind of getting to that point to where we've been coming here long enough and, and things seem familiar and I can navigate my way around and, and, and it feels like home. Yeah. You know? It feels like, Hey, I'm finally somewhere I want to be and, and settle down and, and uh, figure out what I'm doing. One last question. One last question with, with, uh, with all those moves, how many times? 25, 25, probably easy at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what one thing has just like when you, each time you move and you open up all your crap and you look like, how is this still, how do I still have this? Do you have any well, of those things? I've become, I've become an expert purger. Um, I am not and, an expert and, purger. And in fact, uh, someone recently sent me their record, this band Unteachers, uh, guy Steven from the band Tantrum and the Muse sent me their record and, uh, and uh, I, I was telling him, oh, I uploaded it to my Amazon cloud account and put it on my two terabyte hard drive, uh, which is like the way I now consume music. I have so many friends who are still like, oh, I got the vinyl. I'm like, Listen, man, I left that crap in California. Like I had, had like a sweet kitchen table that I had. I had like a row of seats from the Velvet Elvis where you had a infamous oh, uh, yes. uh, episode um and uh i left those at this house i lived in in la mirada like and then finally i just the cd like i had a just a wall of cds i mean you know several thousand cds uh, at our house in tennessee and and after like six months i went up into the upstairs room that i rarely ventured into and i was like why do i still have all this <laughs> like i don't even I, I i think if i cracked one of these open it might break the case out of being brittle from just sitting here um, so I spend a good amount of time just digitizing like my music collection and just getting rid of crap and, and, uh, but yeah, every once in a while I'll open something up. I was thankful that I had that journal though. <laughs> yeah. I still have, uh, yeah. It qualifies. Yeah. So that's awesome. All right, Billy. Well, uh, thank you for talking about yourself. Cause I know how much you love doing it. Oh yeah. This is, uh, and, uh almost as fun as going to the dentist. <laughs> Don't worry. It's, it's like a, it's your turn next, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll um, <laughs> suddenly feeling very under the weather. I'll have to call <laughs> you back later. Oh, and we did want to mention uh, for the first time ever here that I am working on um, sort of my own autobiography, which sounds even weird to say, but. Um, 
people seem to like the stories uh, about stuff that I've done. So I've been working on a, um, a book about my entire life from growing up in the South Bay till now. Um, and it's going to be called Music Ruins Everything. And that's the title. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Music uh, ruins, music ruins everything. everything. And yes. when when can we expect to uh, hear another update as far as when that's coming out? Ah, and, shit, and man. I don't know. I'm working soon I'm enough. Just, yeah, this year, hopefully by the end of the year. All right. And one more time, it's uh, UrbanAchieverShow.com and BillyPower.com. And I have an email, email list at billypower.com. You can sign up for There's a little tab there um, if you want to keep updated on uh, what I got going on, like when the book drops and all that. Awesome. Thank you, Billy. Pleasure. There you have it. My good friend, Billy Power, basically laying it all out there. Okay. Don't be like me. Don't be a negative Nancy. Keep it up. He'll be proud of you. Uh, you can get at Billy Power by visiting uh, UrbanAchieverShow.com. That is UrbanAchieverShow.com. Uh, please follow him on Twitter at UrbanAchieverPC. And uh, go subscribe to Urban Achiever on iTunes. You just click uh, click on the little button there. And when you're over there and you're, you're subscribing to him, why don't you give him, a little, give him a little ratings love, okay? Show him some love. Um, you can find this and any future episodes on the website iNeverWas.com that is iNeverWas.com uh, like I said before eventually there'll be all sorts of other stuff on there but for now we're just keep it kind of streamlined please please send me emails let's talk about some things let's let's set the table here um Guests are great and all, but but I want you to be my guests, okay? Um, also, if you have someone that you want me to talk to, uh, I got a couple suggestions uh, this last time around. I'm going to be pursuing those things. I promise that I will. Um, you can also send those suggestions to uh, the Twilight Zone at iNeverWas.com. That's the Twilight Zone at iNeverWas.com. Just uh, shoot me an email. I'm not farming anything. I'm not going to send you a bunch of crap. Okay, just use that. Um, I'm, I'll keep your address anonymous. Um, you know, yeah. Shoot me an email. Let me know what's going on. Let me know who I need to talk to. Let me know who you want to hear from. Um, let me know how you feel. I mean, listen. I know some of the stuff that you've heard on these shows. Uh, maybe it bums you out. You know, maybe cuss words bum you out. I don't know. Let's talk about it. They don't bum me out. I think they're kind of funny, but I don't, I'm not here to hurt anybody. And I, I definitely don't want to be a closed door. So let's open them doors. Um, you can, uh, you can also find us now on iTunes. Uh, just look up never was podcast and my name. If you, if you need any trouble, uh, if you have any trouble finding it and then, uh, you know, you can go to the website. I never was.com. Um, there's a link on there for the iTunes page. Just click on it. Do the subscribe thing. Please give me a little rating. Show me a little love if you can. Um, or hatred. No, don't don't show me hatred. Save that maybe. Maybe give that to somebody else. Um, don't give that to anyone. Squish it down. Crush it. Never let it rise to the surface. Okay. That's it. That's it for this week. Uh, my next 
My guest next week will be uh, Mr. Mike Lewis. Again, I'm sort of cheating, talking to an old friend. Trust me, it's not going to be like that all the time. But I, I think that you're going to really enjoy it. Mike's got a great story to tell. And um, yeah, I think a lot could be learned from there for all of us. Thank you so much for listening. All the people giving the support, showing me. I'm, I, I seriously am floored. I can't, kind of can't believe it, but also totally believe it. I'm, I'm very appreciative. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, till next week. Peace and love. See you then. <laughs>